Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. It, it changed my life in every way. So it, wrestling, um, as I said, from a young age, helped me become a little more structured, helped me have a path to, I think, success, um, you know, academically and business-wise and athletically. Um, but it also, it got me into Harvard. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gents, my guest today is Dustin Denunzio. He was a two-time All-American for Harvard in the late 90s. He got his master's from MIT and is now the CEO of the Denunzio Group. He's a real estate mogul, if you will, and I think, I think you're going to notice that as we get into this episode. Fan of the Week goes to Jeff Varney. Jeff is a wrestling coach at Bomber Wrestling Club out in Bainbridge, Ohio. Bainbridge, Ohio, excuse me. Thank you so much for the support, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Folks, this episode is brought to you by Gable the Goat Part 2, which is a documentary podcast on one Dan Gable, covering the years 1987 through 1993, I put a ton of time into the documentary podcast, so if you could, please go listen to that and let us know what you think. You can find it in the feed here. It's episode 109, or you can text Dan Gable, one word, to 555-888. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Dustin Denunzio. We are here with Harvard legend Dustin Denunzio. Are you down in Florida this morning, sir? Uh, I am, yes. I'm riding out the coronavirus uh, <laughs> down here in the sunshine. Now, does something like this create a little bit of opportunity for a property developer like yourself? I have some friends that are traders, and they it sounds sick, but they love a market like this where there's a lot of fluctuation. Is this is this good or bad for, for business right now? I mean, I think it's... I, I can't say it's good for business. Um, you know, I'm I'm in a lot of uh, hotel development. Yeah. And uh, occupancies for hotels are down in single digits right now. So whenever you you know you have an uh, opportunity for good buys and things like that, you also have to look at you know um, is your cash flow good at the time because you need to carry you know the properties you already have. So right. it's there is there is a balancing act there. Yeah. No, it's uh, I talked to some of my friends and they they don't get excited about it because there's a lot of people who are going to be in real trouble for a long time after this, but they like this yeah. fluctuation. So, well, you, as we mentioned, you really led the resurgence of Harvard. And, and what I mean by that is, folks, when I was researching Dustin, I found that back in the early 90s, Harvard was dueling Division three programs, which now they're one of the top, uh, you know, top Ivy League D1 programs. So. But let's start at the beginning for you, Dustin. 
I know you grew sure. up in Florida. You were a one-time state champ. What's the origin mm-hmm. story for you? When did wrestling hook you? Uh, I think uh, my my story's a little different than a lot of the, the really, really, really legends that you've had on this show. Um, I didn't even see a wrestling mat until, um, you know, well into my freshman year of high school. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine brought me to a practice. I was going to play basketball, unfortunately. Um, and uh, it brought me to uh, an off-season freestyle practice. And I got hooked, and uh, I joined the, the, the team at Clearwater Central Catholic my uh, freshman year and was really, really horrible. Um, so I was 4-14 uh, and 14 as a freshman. I got pinned 12 times. And, um, you know, I was just – decided at the end of the year uh, my dad sat me down as like wow I don't think you know uh, your mom and I can uh, you know we either want to jump into this uh, with both feet or uh, you know figure out figure out a different way um, and so I decided to to start wrestling and to go to camps and uh, you know I was fortunate to get a good coach that uh, moved in my sophomore year um, Mark Prince, his both both of his sons are seniors at the Naval Academy right now, and they're my godsons. Um, and he ended up he he came in and was my high school coach. And uh, then there was a coach, a local coach around here, a, a real Florida legend, Glenn Goodman, um, who uh, you know ended up helping me uh, off season and and actually coached me all the way, helped me all the way through high school and freestyle and beyond. And you know that combination. Uh, it just was I was just fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. It's incredible to hear um, people who didn't start until their freshman year of high school. It is possible mm-hmm. to make those massive jumps. I mean, who was I just talking to? It was uh, oh, Mark Munoz, who wrestled at Oak sure. State. He started his freshman year. And it's just you hear story after story. And I grew up in Illinois and wrestling's mm-hmm. a, a hotbed there. We started really young, but it's like I feel like the guys who start later just have maybe a little bit more left in the gas tank when they get to college and they're still making jumps later on the road. I mean, what do you think those two coaches gave you that maybe you weren't getting your first year or was it more so you just decided to commit? Uh, my, my first year, you know, we just had a local, um, a, a local high school coach. I mean, Florida was not a hotbed of wrestling. It's gotten a lot better since mm-hmm. um, just because I think we've had more successful college wrestlers that have come back and, and coached but you know uh, mark prince he was a he was a division three wrestling standout and so he had a good base of wrestling and then you know glenn goodman was uh you know four-time undefeated florida state champ and you know wrestled uh um john smith in the finals of the uh, olympic trials and and brad penrith in the finals of the world team trials so he's a really seasoned wrestler wow and so he was able to you know mark gave me a really good a solid base of wrestling and Glenn was able to introduce me to the highest levels of the sport and uh, kept doing that. So for me, uh, there, there was no possible way that I was going to make up that amount of time without the quality of coaching I had. I was willing to put in the hours, but it didn't matter. You know, you can put in as many hours as you want. If you're, if you're doing the wrong things, uh, it's not going to help you out on the mat. Right. And when do you think the tide started to turn for you? Was it your sophomore, junior year? When did you start to see some wins? Uh, I would say my uh, my sophomore year I was fourth in the state, but it was it was pretty weak. I think one guy injury defaulted and wrestlebacks and and that type of stuff. But I went to the Iowa camps, the Granby camps, the twenty eight day Jay Robinson camp after my sophomore year, 
and then, um, you know, kept, kept doing everything I could. But I think my junior year, um, I got to be pretty decent. I was third in the state. And then I think I was, um, I was pretty good my, my senior year. Um, you know, I had, had a good base of, um, technique, good skill sets, good stamina. I was starting to get a little bit, uh, mature, uh, strength wise. And so I think that that's when I think I was on my upward curve. I was still really young. Uh, so I was a young freshman in high school. I was 13 years old and 17 year old as a freshman in college. So I still had a lot of maturity, um, you know, maturing years to, to go. But I think that's when I started to make a turn, maybe senior year. And how, how brutal were the J-Rob camps back then, man? They were brutal, you know. So, again, there it was a little before this uh, uh, the era of kind of political correctness where you could just get abused by the counselor. So for me, it was great. You know, after my sophomore year of high school, I was still very green. And I was in there when in the wrestling sessions with multiple time state champs and just going. So it was 28 days. That was like an extra season of wrestling for me. And uh, that was uh, that was it was pretty brutal. Had you so. experienced anything like that workload before and like just the intensity? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, even going to the Iowa camp, there was a lot of technique and, you know, Granby camp, a lot of technique. And there was a Jay Robinson as well. But it was one of those where, you know, I needed it. You know, I it, it's similar in, in college when I took a year off of school to train. If I hadn't done that, I don't know where I make up. the, I don't know where I make up the difference. And it was a brutal training atmosphere. But I came out of that, um, especially coming back to an area like Florida, where you know, the talent pool probably wasn't nearly as deep as, you know, where you grew up in Illinois and in different areas. Um, it gave me a lot of confidence to go out against, you know, my opponents when I came back from the camps. Yeah. I mean, it's to your point, it is an extra season and it's yeah. just, uh, it's cool that it all started at Iowa when Jay was the coach there. Then he obviously split off yeah. and created a dynasty at, at Minnesota. So I'm trying to think of who would have sure. been there when you were there. What was this like early nineties? So was Marty Morgan yeah. even there? Yeah, Marty Morgan was there. This was um, right after my, I think it was 91, 92 summer, okay. something like that. And then actually I went back um, for a 14-day day camp. That's all I could fit in before my senior year. And, you know, one of my, I think you go up with a state title, was a, it was a nice accomplishment in high school, but I, I won the black hat at that 14-day camp from Robinson, which they give out to the best camper. Um, so that was you know, that means you're, you're pretty tough and you can handle a lot of abuse. So, um, you know, that was, that was a big thing for me at the time. And yeah, there were, there were a lot of studs in college wrestling there, but I was so new to the sport. I didn't, I had no clue who anybody was. You were just going and and working. I I knew, you know, I'd heard about this Dan Gable when I went to the Iowa camp and, you know, I got to learn about Jay Robinson's story when I was at his camps, but I was just out there, um, trying to survive. So, and so, and we'll get into this, but you had a remarkable career in terms of achieving high levels of success in wrestling and academics and business. So you have something unique about you, a fire inside you, or you know, it's something that separates you from the rest of the world. What do you do? You think that's something from your folks? Like, were your folks hard workers? Were well, how? Where do you think this this ability to go and win the Black Hat Award at at J Rob Camp comes from? I mean, it's just a level of work ethic and just mental grit that most people don't have. I mean. I, you probably don't like to hear someone say that, but that's true. I mean, where do you think that came from for you, your folks? Uh, definitely my parents. Um, they were, uh, they, they both built, um, 
uh, a business from the ground up, um, you know, coming from um, very, uh, very modest uh, upbringings. And, um, you know, I think my dad really hammered us on academics. Uh, you know, the sports was was something we could do and other things uh, were something we can do if, um, you know, we were doing well in school. Mm-hmm. And my mom was just she she was tough. She liked to like to see us go out and and win. Um, and so <laughs> that 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 combination, I guess, you know, you weren't you weren't going to last too long at the around the dinner table conversations if you weren't if you weren't making progress. So um, I think, you know, I set I set goals early on. I was I had a I don't know, a little bit of a juvenile delinquent when I was young. I don't I don't think I really had a direction. And I think wrestling gave me that um, uh, my freshman year. And I stopped kind of with uh, a bunch of the other stuff. And uh, focused on that, and and I made a goal to win a state title and get into an Ivy League school, and so you know there were goals. You know, I'm, I'm, I I was a, a lot of people helped in that journey to make them come true, and uh, you know I I, I owe that to wrestling. I don't I don't think I would have quite quite made it there in basketball. I'm a right. little uh, vertically challenged. So. <laughs> well, do you so would you say you were like an obsessive kid before that just obsessing on the wrong things or you were just kind of like you said no direction and lost and wrestling really gave you something that was the first thing you actually cared about? Uh I mean, I'll tell you I was uh just an average student um prior to uh prior to concentrating on wrestling. I think really? you know, I was out skateboarding and doing different things and I wasn't even really taking any of that too seriously. So I think I found something in wrestling that gave me structure. And um, you know, I think it it when I was training and I was scheduled and I worked, you know, I was a busboy all through high school and things like that. So I was I ended up being very structured and I think that helped with my academics a lot uh as well. I just kind of at, at one point when I decided that I wanted to do well, I think I wanted to try and do well in all aspects of my life. Isn't that amazing that by getting involved with wrestling, you can improve your academics? I yeah, mean, I, well, absolutely. I mean, we see it all the time, and the college level is, you know, when guys are in season, I think they're a little more structured and tend to tend to do better academically than when they're off season and, and don't have the same structure. So yeah, it's. I just got involved with Chicago Beat the Streets. I'm on the Young Professionals Board, and we're having conversations with with business folks in Chicago. And um, you know, it's like it's counterintuitive, but like getting a you sometimes they think wrestlers are a bunch of meatheads, you know, or something like that. But I'm like, listen, sure. wrestling can really change your life, and you're proof to that. And so, when was the first time Harvard was became a reality for you, where you actually thought I could get into this place? Uh, it was really funny. I went up. So uh, my parents are all from uh, both from New England and my my family. But I grew up down in Florida um, and my sister went to school up at uh, Boston College and then Boston University. So we're familiar with the area. So I went up and did tours of colleges. I visited Cornell. I, I visited Harvard. I visited BC. They had a program at the time. And so I remember talking with Jim Peckham, who was the coach who actually recruited me from Harvard. And this is my they're my sophomore year. And he was, you know, he was a legend in wrestling and a kind of a, a surly guy. He's like, Jesus Christ, Denunzio. He's like, you know, you got to go do something in wrestling. You got to bring your SATs up 300 points and then call me. And so, you know, I never, um, never, never really heard from him again until after I had decided to go to Cornell. And then all of a sudden I got this call. My mom comes and says, hey, the coach from Hartford called you. 
I said, I don't even know Hartford. I didn't even know they had a team. Um, he's <laughs> like, this Jim Peckham from Hartford. I'm like, oh, it must be Harvard. So I called him and he's like, you know, Denunzio, he's like, you know, we, we saw your transcripts. He's like, if you if you want to come here, we, we'd love to have you. I'm like, wow, this came out of absolutely nowhere. So he brought me up on a recruiting trip midweek. Um, I changed my acceptance from early acceptance to Cornell uh, to regular acceptance so I could see if uh, Harvard was an option. And then uh, I got into Harvard and luckily I chose to go there because I always, I just always put academics first, but my parents basically told me they wouldn't have let me go anywhere else. So <laughs> Seriously. I mean, if you have that opportunity, um, yeah. how can you, how can you pass it up? And normally I ask people what the transition from high school to college was in the wrestling room. You yeah. know, what, what were some of the sure. beatings they took, but I'd love to hear from you. What about the academics, man? Was it that much of a change or, uh, it, it was a change for me. I mean, I, as you know, Jay Weiss, the, the coach of uh, Harvard Wrestling, started there my freshman year. So we came in together. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jim Peckham recruited me and, you know, Jay and I started together. Uh, but academically, I mean, I came from uh, a Catholic school in Florida. It was not a prep school. It was a Catholic school. And so my roommates freshman year, I had one from Phillips Andover and one from Phillips Exeter, which are two of the highest regarded prep schools in the country. They were so far beyond me academically, you know, that they thought Harvard was a joke compared to all the work that they had in high school. And I was just, you know, trying to go to every tutoring session, every extra help thing I could find at Harvard. And once you get in the groove and you figure out that it's not as overwhelming as you might think at the beginning, it was it was okay. But I, I definitely uh, I, I definitely struggled to, to to do well or to keep up. And what did you think so. you wanted to do for a career at that point in time, if you can remember back? Um, you know, I never really had any interest in anything but real estate. Even from the time I was young, I was, you know, playing Monopoly when I was no doing it way. for board games. And, and that's what my parents were involved in. And so, you know, they, they were involved in the self-storage industry. But I grew up seeing that and, and you know, having that appreciation that if you put a lot of time in, you could be successful in it. But it wasn't like, you know, a lot of your friends and my friends that do trading where you can see the results overnight. Uh, a lot of development, uh, it takes time. And, and when you're doing it uh, for your own or with a partner, it takes a lot of money for a long time until you start seeing money come the other way. And I guess I got used to thinking in that mindset from a, from a, a young age. I love that you were just an entrepreneur at the at the very early yeah. stages, and your folks obviously showed you the way. Um, and sure. I was going to ask you, I, I, I noticed your dissertation at MIT, if that's the right word for it, was on the self-storage yep. market in Boston. So your yes. folks must have been way ahead of the curve, because even now you're seeing self-storage pop up. Back then, were they like the first were, people to yeah. do that? They were uh, pioneers, and they got together. Uh, my, my dad partnered up with a real pioneer, a Colby Sandlin, who was out of the Midwest. And they had just started this concept in the, you know, late 60s, early 70s um, with these things called mini storage. And then my my father linked up with um, Colby and uh, moved down to Florida. And Colby basically said, hey, this is we're going to partner up and this is your territory all through Florida. And that's when my dad started building self-storage facilities in the in the mid 70s. We moved down to Florida in 78 and and that's when they started. And there were some of the, you know, first ones around. Uh, U-Store is, is my parents' company. And, uh, pu- you know, public storage was the other popular one at the time. And a lot of it, uh, a lot of the industry grew from there because it, it was never looked at as a real industry. 
it was looked at as kind of a, a property holder until, you know, other more important development uh, types would come around and it ended up being profitable. And now it's, you know, one of the strongest sectors in, in real estate. So, so at the beginning, it was kind of looked at as like secondhand, like not as respectable as the rest of the rest of the game, so to speak. Yeah. And it, it wasn't as nearly as sophisticated either. You know, you're, you're looking at, for the most part, a lot of people would put up sheds and a series of sheds. And now you have, you know, opulent uh, storage facilities with offices in them and, you know, all kinds of um, bells and whistles. Um, but, you know, the ones that my parents did were uh, red brick. They stood the test of time. They all looked fantastic, um, you know, 40 years later um, plus, and uh, they're still uh, profitable. So that's uh, that's a testament to the, uh, you know, the way that uh, my parents meticulously ran their company uh, and run their company, but also um, a lot to do with the industry uh, budding at the same same time. Wow, I didn't know that. That was the background for. I thought you were ahead of the curve in the in the '90s, writing your paper at MIT. So they were they were doing this years before that. Yeah, uh, I think ahead of the curve a little bit up in New England because self storage wasn't as popular up there yet because a lot of people had basements and it, it went away. It went a, a you know alongside that, but it did become a. It is an extremely popular sector up there now. And it was something that I had a lot of interest in um, early on, although I never really concentrated in developing self-storage. It was something I had an interest in early on. So I love it. I love it. Um, and so you, you kind of have that going on in the background. You, you know what you wanted to do there, mm -hmm. but obviously wrestling had to be one of the biggest focus for you at that, you know, mm -hmm. during your four years. Now, did you go five years? Because I noticed one year you yep. didn't wrestle, right? Uh, yeah, I took a year off of school. So in uh for the ivy league as i'm sure you know they don't they don't let you to redshirt and stay in school and so i took a sabbatical for a year and uh just to train i didn't have a great uh ncaa tournament my sophomore year and much like uh, when i was in uh in high school i said all right i'm gonna i'm gonna do something different here so i went up a weight class i i took a year off of school and i got about 70 matches in that year i went to every tournament that i could go to which equaled about two of a college seasons at the time and um you know i got i i lived in uh, ukraine and, and russia for a while and and uh traveled all over and and sought out the best training partners i can find from um sincero abe to gary colat and i go uh, train around everywhere due to the relationships that my coach uh, glenn goodman had and um, that's that that made it. So when I when I came back my junior year, I, I felt like at least I was on the upward trajectory of the curve. So I was going to ask you why you moved up in weight. It was a pretty big change. Mm -hmm. right? It was 26 to 41. It had to be a big difference. Yeah. Well, the, the it was. Yeah, I was a 26. I never should have been a 126 pounder. Anyway, my my roommate uh, and one of my best friends, a teammate, Joel Friedman, was our 34 pounder. And, and he was a freshman at, and sophomore at the time with me. And, you know, those were we were just used to cutting weight. Everybody was used to cutting a ton of weight. And um, I was just I, I should never have been a 126 pounder. And so I went up to 134. And then, you know, all of the time my year off of school, I was even up beyond that. And I was in tournaments that were given weight. And then when I came back, my junior year is when all of the weight classes changed. And, you know, they added seven pounds to 134 and they changed the weigh in rules. And I think that was one of the best things they ever did for the sport. Um, and so then I, all of a sudden I was a 126 pounder and then I was a 141 pounder. So it was, uh, it was good. It allowed me to grow a little bit and eat once in a while. Man, all the guys from your era, that mid nineties yeah. pack where, where, yeah. where they changed the weight classes midway through like 
96, 97, yeah. somewhere in there. They all talk about how early 90s people were still cutting massive amounts of weight. It was miserable. Yeah, I mean, you'd have, you know, when I'd be 148 at the beginning of every week to Russell 126. Oh. And, you know, you'd you'd sit there and you'd have at the time, you know, again, this is uh, not it's just taboo now, but saunas were part of your everyday routine. So I remember, you know, maybe Mondays you get one decent day of working out and then you'd feel pretty rough the rest of the week because you wouldn't get, um, I don't think you'd get as good of workouts because you were focusing on trying to lose all the weight. And so it was very hard to grow during that era of weight cutting. And, and of course, none of us knew that what, what the hell we could just go up and wait and do it at a different weight class. But that wasn't the mentality back then. The mentality was to cut weight and, and, you know, because you had that day to put it back on and, and push your body. So, And, like, every wrestler knows this, but as miserable as a weight cut is, an hour after the weigh-in, once you get some water in you and you're feeling good, you're like, I could do that again. But <laughs> Yeah, and you had to. You had yeah. to be prepared to do it, especially we had the two-day weigh-ins as well. So you'd, you'd, re- you'd weigh in for 126, and then you'd wrestle, and then you'd have 90 minutes after you were done wrestling to make weight again for the next day. It was it was a brutal, what you know, it, it was just it was not the best part of wrestling. I think what they do now, you know, makes it so that, you know, if you try and cut too much weight, you're just not going to be able to perform on the mat. Right. So. And we see it in UFC all the time. Guys move up a mm-hmm. weight class and they perform way better most of the time. Sure. You know, sure. So we were talking about this before we got on the air. And I just couldn't believe this little connection when I found it that. You know, the Bella Glazov coach, um, their childhood coach and lifelong coach, you pronounce his name much better than I do. What's his name? Yeah, it's uh, Granit Terrapin. Granit Terrapin. So yep. at some point in the 90s, he was coaching for the UK, the British, great British team or the UK. Yes. Your head coach gets synced up with them and convinces them to come coach at Harvard. Just an incredible wealth of knowledge that you guys had had on the team there. What, how did that all come about and what was the biggest impact he had on you? Um, it was great. You know, a lot of this stuff happened the year that I took off of school. Um, um, there, there we, we had some people wrestling on the team. We had some, um, uh, kind of benefactors on our team that were helping build the program along with, you know, uh, Jay Weiss, uh, and, and our assistants at the time. Um, and so I came back my junior year and, um, I had Kendall Cross as my workout partner and Granite Terrapin was one of our assistant coaches. And, um, yeah, Granite came over. He was coaching in uh, London at the time, previously in India. And then he was coaching, um, you know, the, the former, uh, USSR <clears throat> and where he helped me so much, you know, in, in the room every day I had, I had Kendall Cross and I had Andy McNerney who was a, a, a Harvard legend who was in there wrestling with me every day but where granite really helped me a lot was uh he was my you know dedicated freestyle coach so Mm. um that's when when the season in and even during the season i'd have separate workouts with granite and then once the season ended we were ready we were getting ready for you you know university nationals for u.s open and then even after i graduated from harvard and and i was i was still competing uh granite was um Granite was my coach and it's just, you know, he's, he's forgotten more wrestling than I certainly will ever know. Um, but that than most people will ever know. So outside of the technique, what do you, did he work with you much on the mental side of things or anything, you know, outside of just the technical part that some of the listeners here might be able to pick up in terms of how he viewed competition or how he viewed preparation? 
Um, I think definitely the, the mental part of it, uh, probably not as much, um, but preparing for competition. Absolutely. He just, he had a much a different mentality, a lot more rest, you know, a yes. lot of, uh, sauna sessions, a lot of time that wasn't necessarily on the mat. Um, but then also just the, the concentration on, uh, very specific techniques, you know, single leg defense, single leg offense, um, defending a gut wrench, um, being really tough in a gut wrench. Those, those things right there were the backbone to all of my freestyle wrestling, that and front headlocks. And we would just go over just the, the monotony of sitting there doing live drills of single leg defense back and forth for every practice, every day, gut wrenches, every practice, every day where your ribs were just um, brutalized <laughs> by the end. It, I, I just, his focus on those techniques, because that's what won at the highest levels. And, you know, the, the, uh, the way that he trained as far as resting and sauna sessions was, was very eye opening for me. And it's pretty much counterintuitive to the Dan Gable, J Rob way, right? Of Sure. Would you think um, so? It, or? it is. It, it is counterintuitive to that. I mean, they were go, 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 go every session. And I think, you know, the difference between a freestyle season, if you're, you know, in the U.S. level or, you know, the world level and a college season is you have to be prepared to wrestle every weekend in college where you're peaking for four tournaments a year um, in, a, in a freestyle setting. So you have a lot of downtime. You have a lot of time where you don't want to um, ruin your body. You're not cutting weight every weekend and things like that. So I think that was part of the mentality as well. And so we had a hybrid of that on the Harvard wrestling team at my junior, senior year and beyond because Granite was there for a while, which I think, um, started helping our guys peak a little better as well. Man, what a great combination. And the fact that you had Kendall Cross in there, and it seems like just from, just from an outsider's point of view that Harvard has no problem bringing in specialists for guys if they're going to be sure. champions. Like that same thing with Jesse Jansen. Jesse's been on here. Sure. He said, he's like, listen, I know that Harvard hired coaches who are at my weight. And so I felt the responsibility to make it happen. I'm guessing sure. Kendall Cross coming in there had something to do with you being there and, and kind of sure. being um, you know, ready to, to break onto the scene and ultimately you would become a two-time All-American. So what do you remember from your scraps with Kendall, man? He was, he was pretty funky, kind of an upper body guy. I mean, we had such polar opposite uh, styles. So he was so funky and I was just driving through, you know, with head in the chest doubles and he was all over the place with trips and throws. So we, we battled a lot. We battled a lot. Um, while I was in college after college, you know, we'd have Jesse in the mix when he started. Uh, we had, we had a really, uh, fun room for, for a long time in there, but yeah, Kendall and I would beat the hell out of each other. Um, and I was just of the mentality that if Kendall, cause he was working as well, um, in Boston, whenever he would come in, I would just kind of drop whoever I was working out with and, and, you know, have him wrestle whenever, whenever somebody like that is coming into your room, um, you have to take advantage of it, uh, as much as you can. Is that where you picked up your trips from? I watched a highlight of you and you were throwing a lot of trips back in the day. In addition to that little double you mentioned, did you get them from Cross? Uh, no, interestingly, uh, Glenn Goodman, my coach was, um, a big inside trip guy. And that's where I learned that. And, you know, sorry, Kendall, but there was a real good highlight of Glenn inside tripping Kendall. Okay. At the world team trial. So <laughs> it, it all, it all comes full circle. Wow. Um, Ke Kendall was younger than Glenn. So there was a little bit of a different era there, but yeah, we, you know, I, I 
that I think was one of the things uh, that in single leg defense that helped set me apart. Uh, you know, I think from a from a from a relatively novice uh, time period in uh, in wrestling. So, what do you remember from? Uh, I guess, or how old were you when Jansen came in there for the first time? Were you done by then? So I had known. Uh, no, I was still coaching. I was the assistant at Harvard for okay. uh, a while after, while I was uh, competing and while I was working. Um, and Jansen, he would come in on his recruiting trip, and his one of his mentors, Andy McNerney, was a Harvard guy. Um, and I think um, he came in when he was young, and then he came in for his recruiting trips. And I, I was still training. So, you know, my the best year I ever had probably in freestyle in, in 2001 was one of the best years Jesse ever had after his freshman year of of college. So we were training hard together. And I think one of the draws for Jesse coming in is that right off the bat, he'd have me as a workout partner and mm-hmm. I was still training. I was right around his weight. He'd have Kendall Cross in there. He'd have Andy McNerney. And so I think, you know, he was a guy that everybody, everybody wanted in the country. And thankfully he, uh, he came to Harvard. And, and one of the things about Jesse, not to go off on a tangent, Please. but, you know, I thought that, you know, during my era and when I was on the team, I was a really hard worker. I was putting in all the extra time and things like that. I didn't even know what hard work was until I saw Jesse Jansen come in the room. And that guy outworked anybody I'd ever come in contact with. It was crazy. Really? Um, I mean, I love to go in and wrestle. I go in and wrestle live in the morning, in the afternoon. Um, Jesse would go wrestle in the morning, run in the morning, uh, come in and wrestle through practice, wrestle with me and freestyle after practice, and then come back and do a heavy lift at night. And this was, you know, every day throughout his career. It was, it was crazy. And so there was no surprise he was going to, he was going to win a national title uh, for Harvard. It was just a matter of which, which year I mean, or he, how many years. He was so freaking good in high school. I mean, so he came in right yeah. away and was just able to handle the workload and, and went right through it, huh? Uh, I think he had some he had some things he needed to work on freshman year. Um, I think he relied a lot on his ability uh, with top and bottom. Mm-hmm. And then after that freshman year, when he saw kind of where where he had dropped some matches, uh, he got so good in all of the the spots he needed to. I mean, he would he was so in such good shape. He'd just keep shooting, keep shooting, keep shooting. And for me, I was very defensive. I just keep grabbing him in front of headlock, taking him down, and. Mm-hmm. And after that freshman year, he concentrated. He was just so good at not getting caught in front of headlocks and getting right out of him and shooting again that he had the ability to just, regardless of how much he was shooting and how much he was stopped, he was never getting taken down anymore. And he would just keep that pace up and just, just crush people. And he so has it was the, just great to watch. He has the perfect balance of confidence and humility. You know, like he's yeah. not arrogant, but he's very confident and doesn't seem like a guy who doubts himself very much. You know, he may say otherwise, but could you see mm-hmm. that early on too? Like his attitude was, was right on par with where it needed to be. A- absolutely. I mean, again, there was no lack of confidence, no lack of work ethic. I just think, you know, he, he also was a student of the sport. And I think he learned what he needed uh, to improve on after freshman year in order to be a national champion. He wasn't just going to be able to do it with his top bottom skills. Cause you had a lot of guys that were really good on their feet and a lot of guys in college that ended up, you know, were, were good on top bottom, but he improved top bottom to where he was the most, yeah, I think dominant top wrestler in the country, but he got to be really, really good on his feet as well. And, and dynamic on his feet. And I think he concentrated on that where I don't think he ever had to, um, during high school. Cause you know, he was so head and shoulders above people, but he, he, he studied it. He looked at what he needed to do and he concentrated on it. 
And man, he those were some loaded weight classes too. Back when he was yes. winning it, I mean, unbelievable. Man, so fun to go back and watch some of those matches. Now you mentioned a couple of times your freestyle career. I I'll be honest, I didn't pick up on that in the research. So did you did you wrestle like the university level games or what would you say the yeah. highest point of your freestyle career was? Um, well, I think one of my, you know, I, I started again, I think I was a late bloomer, even in college, you know, Mm -hmm. I was young and was starting to get pretty, pretty decent at the end. Um, I ended up, I, you know, was proud to win the university nationals, uh, a year after, I think in 2001, I had a loaded weight class and had Eric Larkin, uh, in the finals, who was, who was a stud. And, um, and then that kind of launched my, um, my freestyle. So for the next year, I, I, entered all these tournaments, the Sunkist, and, um, I went overseas to wrestle. And then I ended up, I guess the peak would be, I was second in the U S open. I lost to Bill Zadick in the, the finals 2001. Um, and you know, I had a good, a short freestyle career, a couple of years. Um, cause I got, you know, they changed the weight classes from 138 and a half and they, they moved them up to 145. And then at the same time, I got into a, a grad program at MIT that I really wanted to go to. And, and that ended up being my concentration. But I loved freestyle, and you know, I had a short-lived, um, I think, relatively successful career for for a little while there at a senior level. I mean, you talk about Eric Clark and Hodge Trophy winner. I mean, in that yeah. weight class, when they merged or they moved the weight classes to 145, that created that mm-hmm. logjam of like Lincoln McAravey, Bill Zadek, Chris Bono, yeah. Jamil Kelly. Like that was loaded, loaded, loaded. Yeah. Crazy. It was it was crazy. It was crazy. So it was either that or going down to 132, and I was never going to be able to make that. And then, you know, the opportunity for grad school came up. I, you know, if I if I had to go back and do it again, I I probably would have pushed off um, grad school for a year or two and concentrated uh, a couple more years in wrestling. But you know, I was thankful for um, the time I had and and the places it took me. So when you lived overseas, did you ever live in or not live? But when you stayed, did you ever go to like sure. Dagestan or Ossetia? Somewhere in the Caucasus uh, I, region? I, I didn't get to those hotbeds um, at the time. I was over in uh, Kiev in Ukraine, and I was training with, I don't know if you know the name, Elbrus Tadeev. He was a stud. He was an mm-hmm. Olympic champion. He actually beat Jamel Kelly in the finals of the Olympics. And uh, he was my training partner um, over there for a month, and he was brand new on the scene, and we would work out every day, and he ended up being a real stud. He had, I think, some of the most epic matches I've ever seen in all of wrestling were a couple of the matches that he had with Kerry Colat in the world championships. Um, they were nine minute matches and it was just unbelievable. Um, was he just so, on another level? He was, especially over there. I think he was one of, I, I can point to one of the guys that he was a goer, you know, most of the Russian style of wrestling would kind of be, you know, very technique, uh, technique driven. And he was a goer had, all kinds of stamina and great technique and um and you know he ended up being i think a three-time world champ and olympic gold medalist and things like that and that was the first year when he started to do well was um that year i was i was training with him and he was kind of an unknown until he went to the world championships that year and so how did you end up in ukraine what, what's that story uh, that's where granite um was from he, yeah. he, so he was originally from ukraine so we went there and trained with the dynamo kiev which was um a, a, a wrestling uh, club in in Ukraine, and then we went uh, in Alushta. We had a training camp out in the Black Sea, and then we went to uh, Krasnoyarsk over in Russia to watch the World Championships that year. And I trained over there for a little while too. So it was it was an unbelievable trip. I went with um, uh, Joel Friedman and uh, Nate Ackerman, 
um, and Ed Mosley. So all Harvard guys, and we we had a little contingent over there uh, tearing it up. Man, for a college guy to be able to do that, how awesome would that be? That's just it was it was it was so cool. That's so incredible. Cool. So I know uh, I can't believe we've been going for about forty minutes here. I do I do definitely want to get into business because you sure. have parlayed your foundation in wrestling to a very successful business career. Um, did you start out working for a, like a, a big REIT or did you start out on your own from the get go after MIT? Uh, no, I so after undergrad, I worked for a company called RCG. And it was uh, headed by a, a, a wrestler, Alex Steinberg, who's a you know big supporter of wrestling. He went, he wrestled at Cornell and went to Harvard Business School. And um, Andy McNerney was over there, um, who again he was the last. Andy McNerney was the last Harvard All American before me, 15 years prior. Gotcha. And so we had a little wrestling community there, and I started um, I started working for them um, in real estate development around Boston. They allowed me to continue training and coaching. Um, and then I, I went back to grad school. I came back to the company for a short while, and then I kind of broke off and started uh, um, my company in 2005. And uh, you know, I'd partner with other people and, and do developments, and, and that's, that's where it all started. So. so what does a, for some of the folks who are listening who are maybe in college and they're you know, want to work in a field where the, you know the harder they work, the more they can earn. You know, sales is certainly one of those sure. fields. That's I'm in technology sales. Um, sure. But in your world, what are so are you out scouting properties that you think you can convert to another type of property that's going to return an investment? Like you know those type of projects. Um, I think so. I think originally that's where it starts, and I think you know my my foundation. <clears throat> at MIT helped specifically guide me in a lot of real estate. So what I got was a master of science in real estate development, very specific on what I wanted to do entrepreneurial development. Um, so I think it started on that with some rehabs and different things like that with different projects. And, you know, now what I do is, you know, we've, I, I, I have a partner, Paul Lonis out of Cambridge and we do, uh, you know, buy land and then we do bigger developments. So the ones we're looking at now are, tower sites uh, in uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida. We have mixed-use developments going up um, in New England, and um, they generally have a hotel anchor, and it may be like hotel, residential, retail, um, and things like that. And I think, you, you know, the key is to attack it like you would um, studying for your wrestling. You know, you yeah. figure out, you look at all of the different factors that may make a piece of property good, um, you know, what you can do on that property. There's different zoning, as I'm sure you know, that goes with different property. And you figure out how best to um, how best to do something that the market's going to react to and like. And something we're not we're not guys who build and flip. So we like to own and manage. And um, so we want something that's going to be there for 20, 30 years. Um, and so you want to make sure you get it right because it's it's pretty expensive to build these things. Um, and um, I, I think that's where the art and science comes in. And I think, you know, uh, to parallel it with wrestling, um, you can work as hard as you want, but you still need to study your opponents. You still need to um, do some of the things that, that go beyond just putting in mat time. And I think that parallels um, really well to uh, real estate development. Well, especially the, the obstacles that come up, right? I can imagine, sure. and I've done some research on, I love how you – when you do, you're doing a property in St. Pete where you let the city own the first first four levels of the parking garage, and then you give free sure. free uh, parking on Sundays for the church, right? So I, I just love your creativity <clears throat> in these deals, man. Um, 
Well, I think that's, yeah, I think that's one of the things that, that was what was called a win-win-win. Yeah. <laughs> Very few times do you ever get something like that because the city needed parking in their central core. And if, uh, you know, if, if I was going to provide the parking that the church, because this is a property that I bought from the church, uh, I was going to provide the parking that the property that the church needed on Sundays, I was going to have to find that parking somewhere. I couldn't have all my hotel guests or my uh, residential users leave on Sundays right. and, and move their cars. So this was a nice, uh, a nice trade-off that, that the city got public parking and they're also, you know, going to, going to allow the church to use the parking for their services on, uh, on Sunday. So that's interesting. You, you, you dug that up. That's a, that's a more recent one. So. Well, and the reason I brought it up is I think it's just an example of when you're doing a big project like this, the amount of obstacles that come up on a daily basis for you must be ridiculous. Sure. Like the amount of calls you get of red tape or, or whatever it is. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, you know, there's, it got it has to parallel wrestling a lot because wrestling you're dealing with obstacles all the time and property development i mean i don't know how many times a week you're getting calls that something's going wrong or you have to attend to this or that but sure. i mean do you think wrestling is giving you a foundation to handle adversities like that and 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 pressure cooker situations i mean obviously yes but maybe if you have any stories or examples i'd love to hear yeah them. i mean i think um I think, you know, the, the old adage, once you've wrestled, everything else is easy. Um, I think with all of these developments, um, you know, I've, I've gotten some really hairy situations in real estate. I've, you know, that I really had to rely on my training and, and uh, all of that stuff to, to get through. And then, you know, you have markets go down. Um, you have, uh, you know, the crash away yet after 9-11, uh, you know, right now we're in a, we're in a strange situation, a real strange situation. And you have to, you know, rely on the fact that a lot of the other things I've done training wise have prepared me, um, to handle this, these the adverse situations. And you, you figure out how, how can you, um, put yourself in a position to come out of it stronger, um, you know, after the adversity hits and that comes with what you're talking about with red tape, with zoning, with trying to figure out creative solutions so that you can uh, maybe add value where other people don't see it. And, and I think that's, um, you know, dead on what you, what you pointed out. I think that that parallels wrestling closely. It has to, man. I, I just, I can't even imagine when you're building a, like an office tower or something that big, how much comes mm -hmm. up. Well, um, and I, I love business as well. And so one of the things sure. I wanted to ask you before we sign off here, so, so two two quick questions. The last question is always, yep. how did wrestling change your life? So we'll we'll hit on that. But sure. what does a, a gentleman like yourself, what's a day in the life look like for you in terms of when are you getting up? How how long are you working? I mean, what, is that, what does that look like for you now that you're out of wrestling and you're into, mm -hmm. into the business world? Um, it's, you know, I, I think I'm uh... – I'm always working. I take every call. I talk with a lot of people during the day. I'm up, you know, probably at six 30 every morning. I try and get a, a workout or a lift in early. Um, and then, um, uh, I'm, I'll start, I'll talk with my team of guys. You know, I have a, a manager up in, um, Massachusetts and one in one down in Florida. I live in both places. So I go back and forth and, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll check in to, to figure out what our active projects are doing. And then I have, I, I set out uh, a list for myself the night before. I mean, I have a master list of things that need to get done, but I sit out, um, you know, the hot, hot topics and the hot things that I need to work out for the next day. And I, and I go down my list and it, it'll range from, okay, I need to call these three bankers. I need to, you know, um, talk to the city about this. I need to, 
uh, meet with my architects, my engineers, and 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 that's that's how I arrange my my days. It's I'm not I have offices, but I don't generally go into them. I work from home a lot mm-hmm. because I'm I'm I, I'm a pretty self motivator and um, I don't need to need to have that structure. I just I need to have my list. And, In and 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 start and start my day. And so that's so. In, in my days before. go late, so a lot of times you have hearings in the evening time. So I do. I, I try and make a list. It it takes the pressure off, so you can kind of sleep better. Yes. If uh, if I don't have a list written out, then I'm just thinking about all that stuff that I need to do all night, and I'll never get any sleep. And uh, so if I write that list, at least I know when I wake up in the morning, uh, these are the things that I need to to get off my list uh, the next day. Man, so. it is crazy how the mind can wander like that, and how simply yeah. writing it out really makes a difference. Sure. Um, well, as I alluded to, the the last sure. thing we always ask folks is, how did wrestling change their life, and or what did it give them? Obviously, it's mm-hmm. giving you a, a work ethic and and you know a backbone for adversity. But is there anything you think of on a, a weekly, monthly, daily basis where you go, man, that's wrestling right there, or anything in particular like that that really jumps out to mm-hmm. you? Um, I think uh, it, a couple things, and and I won't drag it out, um, but um, it, it it changed my life in every way. So it, wrestling, um, as I said, from a young age, helped me become a little more structured, helped me have a path to, I think, success, um, you know, academically and business wise and athletically. Um, but it also it got me into Harvard and Harvard opened up the doors for me, opened up the, a lot of the relationships I've had, my friendships my the other guys that I met on the team who were like minded. They weren't just coming to school to wrestle, although you know, we, we fancied ourselves as pretty tough wrestling guys. Um, but these guys were trying to excel in, in all aspects of their life. And then, so to be around people like that, and then it opened the door for me to go to MIT afterwards and open my business contacts. And so there isn't one aspect of life, um, that wrestling has not changed for me. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful on a, on a daily basis. And, and when I look back, you know, I look back at a lot of the wins and some of the accomplishments, but I think it, they pale in comparison to hopefully setting a, a foundation or helping set the foundation for Harvard wrestling mm-hmm. to, to become a, a, a really, uh, a, a solid top level program and hopefully set the example for, for my brother who ended up, uh, Dominic who wrestled at Harvard 10 years later. And that, I think those type of things, and for my godsons who I mentioned are at uh, Naval Academy, I think these are the type of things you hope to 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 leave behind and 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 to help uh, others realize that you don't just have to go to an Iowa uh, to accomplish your wrestling goals, and uh, you know, and you can accomplish your academic goals and wrestling goals. And you know, thankfully, we convinced uh, guys like uh, Jesse Jansen and J.P. O'Connor of these things um, because they did choose to uh, come to Harvard and they were able to to win national titles. It's awesome because, again, I we didn't really hit on it as much as I wanted to, but that's okay. But the state of Harvard wrestling before you got there was not good. I mean, it had been 15 years since they had an All-American. <clears throat> you were a two-time All-American. And, and your senior mm-hmm. year, I think you guys had another one, too, on the team who was an All-American. Yep. Uh, Joey Killar. Yeah. Um, so that was the first time we ever had two All-Americans. Um, you know, it was an attest- it's, it, it's a really a testament to Jay Weiss. Jay came in. He was the youngest coach in the NCAA at the time. He was the assistant of Brown previously. And 
he came in, he started recruiting. I think, you know, I was more or less a bonus for him, somebody that came in and wanted to um, really wrestle and, and dig into it. Harvard had always gotten good recruits, but had never been able to kind of uh, make them perform. And, and Jay came in, he hired the right assistants, um, kept recruiting. You know, I mean, we had we had a great a great group of guys with you know Joey Killar, Ed Mosley, uh, Joel Friedman, um, uh, Tommy Kyler, Kevin Kurtz. All of these guys um, came and and we start, kept building on that. And so that momentum, I mean, you know, we ended up while I was coaching, not while I was wrestling, but it was that trajectory that Harvard won the EIWAs in two thousand one and wow. won the Ivy League championship. I mean, when you talk about schools like Lehigh and Cornell and Army and Navy and all these guys that were tough at the time, UPenn, that was a huge, huge accomplishment um, for for a, a school that doesn't give scholarships and that, frankly, you know, it's hard to get a lot of people academically into the school. Yeah. So that was a huge, huge um, stepping stone for, for Harvard and Harvard wrestling. I mean, that had to be the last time someone besides Cornell won that thing. I mean, that's... Um, yeah, it may, I can't remember. It may have been that. Yeah, that may have been when Cornell went on their streak. And now, obviously, Lehigh's uh, been doing well. Sure. And UPenn was the powerhouse uh, uh, prior to that. So, yeah, I mean, it was it, it was definitely the uh, the the worlds collided. And it was interesting because we had a streak of 15 years or something where we had all Americans every single year, except for the year that we won the EIWA championship in Ivy League. We had six <laughs> national qualifiers, um, no All-Americans, some round of 12ers, but that showed how well Jay did um, in recruiting and getting a, a balanced team. Um, so, And that was Jesse's freshman year. So what he what is he up to, to be now, on Coach Weiss? Uh, Coach Weiss, is, he's in his, I think, 25th season. Um, you know, I think you're wow. going to see Harvard have a very big resurgence over the next few years. Um, I think this year we would have had two freshmen perform really well at the NCAA championships. Next year, we've got those guys coming back as sophomores, along with uh, some great recruits and some guys that are going to be coming back on the team next year. I think you're going to see a lot of very good things from Harvard over the next uh, over the next uh, uh, bunch of years, in my opinion. That's exciting. I love uh, I love watching any program do well, especially a school like Harvard. It's good for wrestling to have that. And when you have people like sure. yourself and, and Jansen, and I forgot about O'Connor, man. You mentioned that name. Totally forgot. Yep. Um, it's just awesome to see, man. It's been an honor to talk with you, sir. I greatly Thank appreciate you. Thanks, your Ryan. time, and uh, hope you have a great day, sir. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks again. Take care. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, wrestlingchangemylife.com. Take care, y'all.